We're continuing our series today on the attributes of God. And uh, I, I am very thankful uh, that I get to speak on a really uh, a sweet topic today. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Tim talked about the wrath and justice of God. And, we, and he talked about how, you know, it, we're, we gotta be, sometimes Christians are, want to be careful with how we first present God to somebody. You know, first impressions matter. Has anyone ever made a bad first impression? You know, I think we probably all have the first time you met someone, maybe you weren't at your best. Me and Lachelle uh, actually met in high school, started dating in high school, and she still vividly remembers that I was wearing a lot of SpongeBob SquarePants clothing at the time. And yet she still married me, so make what you will of that. And so, um, but first impressions do matter, how we're first introduced to someone. And so we talked about how, you know, God's, you know, a lot of times Christians are reticent to talk about the wrath of God, the, the judgment and justice of God. And, and really we talked about how we shouldn't be because that's not something that God is embarrassed about. That God's justice and wrath are actually a product of his goodness. That God rightfully hates that which is evil and unjust and wicked. And, and, and we do too, right? We, we recognize, we, if we're, if our, if our moral compass is functioning correctly, we, we hate that which is evil and wrong and unjust. And we long for a God who is like that. However, at the same time, we recognize that it, it is sometimes a hard thing to be introduced to God first that way. We ourselves are, are, are sinners. And we don't always think of God the way we should. And, that, and when people are first presented with God as a God of wrath and judgment, our sinful hearts can twist that and not receive that as we should. So uh, if we don't start with that, where do we start? I, I think if I'm teaching someone about God, and, I, and the first thing I want to say about them, honestly, often is the fact that God is creator. I mean, I want, I want to start where the Bible starts. God is creator. I think that sets the table for kind of everything else. That It, it kind of really introduces us to him as scripture does. He is the maker, the ruler, the owner, the Lord of everything. Right? And that's a good place to start. But if we're talking about attributes of God, some specifics about like who he is toward us, where do we want to start? I think the mercy and patience of God is as good a place as any. In fact, it seems as though that is one of the places that God really likes to start. Consider Psalm 103. It was read earlier this morning for call to worship. And there's this phrase or this sentence, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That, that phrase is repeated multiple times in Scripture, in Exodus and Deuteronomy and other places as well, in, in some form or another. And look where, it, look where it starts at. God leads with mercy. He leads with patience in his dealings with people. God, because God delights to show kindness. Right? God has to show justice. It's something that he must do because he's good. Every sin, every wrong, every injustice, every evil, every act of wickedness must be dealt with, must be confronted. God, but God... Mercy is something that comes out of God naturally, right? Mercy is his right-handed work, it's been said. But, but judgment is his, his strange work. It's something that, that is kind of drawn out of him. But God loves to be kind. 
God loves to show forbearance and undeserved blessings. It's been put this way, that mercy is God's lodestone. It's an old kind of old-timey word. A lodestone is um, a, a rock or mineral that is naturally magnetic. It's kind of actually how people in old times discovered magnetism because there are rocks that just naturally attract other metals. And saying mercy, this is God's, mercy is God's lodestone. It draws people to himself. And demonstrate his beauty. So verses like this and others tell us that God is slow to anger. God God is angry, as we learned last week, at sin. As he should be, as we should be. He hates it. But God is slow to express that anger. He delays justice as long as he can. But God is not slow to mercy. God is... He delights to show it. He is eager to demonstrate it. I love the way it's put in Isaiah 30, verse 3. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. Guys, God is a God of mercy and justice, a God of wrath and grace, and all his attributes are good, and nothing do we have to hide or be, or consider shameful, embarrassing, because all of God is good. However, I think it is good and it is right um, for those of us who know God to introduce him to others as a God of mercy. And I think that's a good instinct because that's how God introduces himself. That's how God wants us to, to present himself to sinners, to show that not, only, that not only is he a God of justice, but he's a God of love and compassion to draw sinners to him, to his, his beauty. And so, let's, so today we're going to talk about the mercy and patience of God. Grudem describes it as this, when Grudem in his systematic theology, he says that God's mercy is his goodness toward those in misery and distress. His goodness toward those who are in misery and distress. And God's patience is his goodness towards those who only deserve punishment. Mercy, patience, grace, which we'll actually deal with in, a, in another uh, sermon, these, are, these all kind of overlap. They're just like all of God's attributes. God is, is a simple being, which means he's not just a, a, a compound of all these different attributes. They're, they all overlap. So as we talk about mercy and patience, I'm going to focus mostly on mercy and patience as an aspect of that. But I, I'm really looking forward to talking about God's mercy because it is so sweet, right? A, a lot of things we've talked about in this series and probably will in the future really engage the mind. I've already had a couple conversations about the Trinity, right? As we talked about very early on, what does that mean? And, you know, and we talked about God's sovereignty. A lot, some of these topics really engage the mind first. And they get to start thinking and they're kind of abstract. Man, mercy really hits at the heart. It really interacts our affections for the Lord. So that's what I'm, I'm praying for this morning. If God's mercy is his goodness towards those in misery and distress, do you, do you feel that? Are, are some of you in a season of misery? A season, a season of distress? Maybe that's very apparent to you. There is something strong going on in your life right now that is looking to overtake you. And maybe it's just background stress. I don't know. I had a moment of clarity a little while back. Um, I had one of those days, there's six of us, we were in our van and uh, in my family, and uh, my kids are just being very loud as they want to do. 
And it was just one of those things where when you're already kind of stressed out, loud noises just kind of like send you over the top. And I was trying to explain to my kids, probably not very effectively, but it was helpful for me to like explain like why loud noises are of the devil. Um, and I was like, kids, you have to understand when you're adults, you have this background level of stress, right? Because you have all these responsibilities. I'm concerned about your mother. I'm concerned about each and every one of you. I'm concerned about safety. I'm thinking about finances. I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about ministry, thinking about concerned about you in the church. I'm thinking about my own life and sins. There's like this background level, right? Of just like concern, Right, and like you're never fully at peace once you start becoming an adult. You take on more and more responsibilities. Hence, please stop the loud noises. I don't think it really sunk in, but it was it was clarifying for me. So whether you are in a time of like really distinct misery, it's a day of trouble for you, or you're in real distress, or you're just suffering from that background stress. Guys, God mercy is for you. So I want to just make much of it today. I want to give God glory and help stir your affections. I don't think I've prayed yet, so let me, let me pray for God's help. Lord God, as we open up your word, as we talk about you, I pray that you are glorified. Lord, may we not talk about you in abstract ways, but Lord, speak about you in truth as you present yourself. Lord, engage our hearts. Open our hearts to receive this good word. Open our hearts to receive your mercy and be changed. Help us to delight in you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I want to talk about God's mercy today in really two different ways. Uh, First, I want to talk about God's mercy towards unbelievers. And then I want to talk about God's mercy towards believers. And there's a reason why I do this. And and So the first point I'm going to talk about is God's patient mercy as I'm going to call it, God's, how the unbeliever experiences God's mercy. And I want to just like pause for just a second and, and just explain the word unbeliever. Okay. That is not something that we're, we're saying in order to offend or to call people out. God actually in his word talk really kind of categorizes or really groups people really into one of two groups. I mean, we do that all the time, right? For, pol- for political reasons, for other reasons, you know, when two teams in the Olympics go on the field, right? We, we put people in groups according to country or whatever else. But how does God think about people? How does God um, categorize, if you want, that's not a really sufficient word, but the word I'll use for right now. We see a, a kind of consistent theme throughout scripture. Believers, those who belong to him, those who know him, those who are his cherished sons and daughters, and those who don't, those who do not know him. And that that word sometimes is called unbelievers or non-believers or sometimes outsiders, speaking of outsiders outside the church or outside the promises. But consider God is not breaking people into groups such as rich and poor, male and female. He's not breaking up people according to their ethnicity or their skin color. Or their politics. He's not breaking up people into Western or Eastern or anything else. God thinks of you this. All of those things, he says, are you, are you a believer in my son Jesus or not? Are you my son or daughter or not? But this is not necessarily a term of insult. You know, like, it's not like ugh, unbeliever. Guys, don't think of it as an insult. Think of it right now as an invitation. He says, it's the idea that you don't believe right now, 
but you can. I urge you to. See, because this term unbeliever really encapsulates every variety of unbeliever, okay? There are religious unbelievers, people who have a very strong religious sentiment, okay? But their faith, their religion, is not in the true God. That's what you might call a religious unbeliever. Even people in church can be religious unbelievers who grow up in the church, who stand when you're supposed to stand, who know all the right answers, do all those things, but their heart is far from God. You can be a religious unbeliever. You can be, on the other end, you can be an atheistic unbeliever, somebody who has just heard the arguments and just dismisses God and has antipathy toward him. You can also be an unbeliever just purely based on ignorance. You just don't simply know enough about God to know whether you should believe in him or not. You know, a three-year-old might be an unbeliever just purely from ignorance, right? So that is a wide term. It's not a term of insult, but rather it is a term of invitation. So guys, if you're here and you can, you're not sure if you can consider yourself a believer, maybe, maybe you're still searching for God, maybe you're a teen who's honestly just trying to make sense of who you are, much less who God is, or you're someone who's, you know, has attended church for years, but really you're not a believer in God. I want to give you an encouragement. The Bible says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Guys, God doesn't just demand blind belief, blind obedience. He says, no, get to know me. See that I am a God who is worthy of your trust, who is worthy of your belief. So guys, I want to help you just make you aware. If you are in a place of unbelief this morning, I just want to help you see a little bit more how even as someone who is not connected to God in a relationship to Christ, God's mercies are on your life. And I hope you'd see that and taste and see that the Lord is good. But it's even better because it can get even better if you become a believer. So let me talk about God's mercy towards everyone that even unbelievers experience. Guys, everyone experiences God's mercy in this life. Even those as we, who... who who are strongly rebel against God, even those who want to have nothing to do with God, still experience his mercies in their life. Guys, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, God uh, has, gives out blessings freely that sustain life. Jesus talks about this in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, he's talking to his disciples and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. And he describes what God is like. He says this, For God makes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rains on the just and the unjust. Man, God, God doesn't just, you know, send sunshine on like houses of believers and send storm clouds on the houses of unbelievers. Right? That's not how God functions. He pours out his blessings that sustain life on this earth freely to all. Freely on those who will never accept him, who will never believe in him, who know nothing of his name, even experience his blessings. Guys, God continues to provide simple things, clothing, light, breath, homes, families, food, stability, and more. I don't think we, we take into account like how quickly society falls apart. It's not a natural, like society is not a natural thing in a sinful world. Things fall apart. Just like if you stop tending your garden, you just walk away. You go away on vacation, you come back, and what does your yard look like? 
your garden. Like they just overcome with weeds. Things naturally fall apart. Buildings deteriorate. So do cultures. So do societies. The fact that the world, sinful and cursed and fallen as it is, continues to function at any level is an example of God's sustaining grace. Consider the mercies he has of upholding civilization. If God removed his hand... And at times he does, by the way. I mean, good gracious, look what's going on in Haiti. Like when God does like remove his hand even a little bit, things very quickly fall apart. So I want you to think, like, your life may not be what you want it to be. You may be going through some misery and some hardship. But wherever you find any level of stability, any level of comfort, any level of support, that is an example of God's mercy on your life. I mean, these are no small things. The fact that if, 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 if things in your life are not going well, but you're in good health, like even that is God's mercies. And we so quickly forget those. We so quickly overlook those, right? It's not like just something your grandma used to say, but man, count your blessings. Actually stop. And it's a healthy thing to think about all the ways God is invisibly sustaining your existence and your life, even as an unbeliever. But God doesn't just like keep you alive. Even for those who don't believe, don't know him, God gives blessings that sweeten life, right? So think, there, are, there are many who do not know God, who still love, live comfortable and successful and relatively happy lives, often more time than, more often than believers do, right? You see this constant refrain in Psalms and, uh, and even in the New Testament, like, man, why do the wicked prosper? It seems like God is giving all the money and power and fame, and he just reserves that for people who don't know him. But God peppers his mercy in the lives of, of even those who know nothing of God. They still experience some good. Because consider this, earth is, has its problems. This world has its issues. It's often not a pleasant place to live, but it is far from hell. It is still a realm that God sustains and makes fruitful. Guys, and consider this, even those who, who, know, who don't know God and never will, still get to enjoy the goodness of God in this world through music, through art, through food that tastes good. How many of you lost your, your sense of smell when you got COVID, your sense of taste? And you're like, oh man, I miss the fact that food tastes good. You know, imagine if everything tasted like Brussels sprouts. I'm sorry, they're awful. Um, but man, God, praise God, he made donuts and other things that, no, it's all good. He didn't have to do that. Everything could just tastes like omana, just crackers. God, but God made food to taste good and music to sound good and art to look good and the, be- and the, the natural world. There, there are those who look out in the world and, and, and go see the Grand Canyon or go see waterfalls or look into space and say, God didn't make this, this happened naturally. They're enjoying God's mercy, God's blessing and the beauty of this world and give him absolutely no credit, but they're still enjoying it. By God's mercy, the comfort of a warm blanket, the joys of sex and marriage and family and close friendships and hobbies, all of these are God's good gifts that he pours out freely. There are many unbelievers who are also born into Christian families who sadly will never come to faith. But even then, God's mercy, he's still allowing them to benefit of receiving the truth, of hearing about God from a young age, from having parents who pray for them. Even if they hate this and chafe against it, they benefit from it. 
Unbelievers also benefit from God's patient and patience and judgment, as we talked about. Guys, God is slow to anger. And even though he has every right to immediately call us to account for our sins and immediately bring us to judgment, God holds off as long as possible. He holds off even till we die so that you have the entirety of your life, however much that is, to call out on God's mercy, to know him. As that is a testimony of God's goodness, that he shows mercy even to his enemies. That's why Jesus says, hey, Christians, be like your father. That's what he's like. Because God is long-suffering. He's patient. But at the same time, there is a warning attached to that, right? Because God is merciful your entire life. And if at the end of your life, you've never responded to that to say, God, you're good. If you've never responded to that in faith, then God's mercy becomes your enemy because all that does is serve to condemn you because your entire life, God has showed you mercy and kindness and you never recognized it. Never gave him praise, never gave him glory. So I warn you, recognize the mercy of God, the love, the compassion of God in your life and respond. He's saying, taste, see that I am good. And so God pours out his mercy, not just for believers, but for everybody on earth has some sense of God's goodness, some taste of it. But that is not all that God gives. In fact, the sweetest stuff he saves for his saints. Christians, believers, experience God's mercy within covenant. See, because the unbeliever, I think, experiences God's mercies often in imperceptible ways. You know, an unbeliever doesn't necessarily seek or ask for it, even though you're experiencing it. Doesn't pray and say, God, you know, send rains. God, help me. Lord God, fill me. Lord God, comfort me. But God just does that stuff because he's good. But I don't think an unbeliever can really count on God's mercy. Because it may or may not be there for you. But it's different for God's saints. God's mer- God, the God of mercy is your God now, today, tomorrow, and forever. And his mercy for you is not unpredictable. You can count on it. This does not mean that God will act always as you expect him to, right? That God will always act in accordance with your wishes, that he will show mercy in the way that you desire, nor will he uh, act in your timing according to your plans. Neither does this mean God will never allow hardship or suffering or pain or sickness or loss into your life. But it does mean that all of God's acts, all that God allows into your life is colored by his mercy. All of his plans are full of mercy and kindness for your good. That means that even the afflictions that he gives into your lives are surrounded by and limited by his mercies. So for you, brothers and sisters, mercy for God, from God is an ever-present reality. You can count on it. It's your, you are in a covenant relationship with God where he has made promises to you. And they are only for you who are in Christ. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will hear your prayers. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will have mercy on you. All those are God's promises. They are your covenant blessings, and you can count on them. God's faithful. And there there should be a slide here from uh, Lamentations 3, 
22 and 23. I love this. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. It is a sad, sad book. And there's this one, as he's lamenting the fall of Jerusalem, and then he has this one passage in the middle. It's so sweet. He says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, God's mercy was fresh today for you, Christian. And no matter how many times you sin, no matter how many times you fail today, you will wake up tomorrow and God's mercies will be brand new and fresh. He's already prepared them for you. And so I would like to take some time and talk about the different kinds of God's mercy. There's a book by a man named Thomas Watson called The Body of Divinity. Uh, I love this book. Uh, it's basically, it's a part of a trilogy uh, where he wrote, kind of going over the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it's at once a, a great theology, but also an amazing devotional book. And if if you have interest, I, I highly commend it to you. I've given it out to, to several people. He has a chapter on the mercy of God. And even though it is short, it has always stuck with me. And so he just kind of offhand just starts like rattling off different kinds of God's mercy. He doesn't even explain them. But I, I would like to try to do that today. Because I want you, Christian, to vividly see, not just generally speaking that God is merciful, but specific ways that he pours out mercy on your life day in and day out. So let's begin. There are several of them. First, there's God's preventing mercy. Consider how often God prevents calamity from falling upon you. You ever almost gotten into a car accident? Did you ever almost break a bone? Did you ever almost forget something very important before you left your house and you forgot it? You remembered it at just the right moment? You ever, um, man, you could go on and on and on. There's so, there's so many times that, 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 that evil, calamity, suffering could have entered your life. And God prevented it from afflicting you. Another way that God prevents this is sometimes God keeps you from doing the stupid things that you were going to do, the foolish decisions you wanted to make, and God says, no, we're not going to do that today. But if God wasn't, didn't show mercy in your life, he would run headlong and make terrible decisions. And sometimes you don't even like that. Sometimes God keeps us from doing things because a police officer pulls us over and catches us. Or your parents say, no, you're not going to go out with that person tonight. Guys, that is God's preventing mercy. And it's kind of hard to spot this because it's hard to look at something that didn't happen. Maybe someday in glory you will recognize all the ways God kept you from evil. God kept you from harm. God kept you from evil. There's God's sparing mercy. This is the fact that God, that we deserve punishment for our sins that all of our sins deserve a consequence not just in god's court but like here on earth like there are consequences to our actions and how often does god spare you has spared you from experiencing all the consequences of your foolishness how many times have you gotten a warning when you should have gotten a ticket How many times have other people shown you mercy when you should have gotten in trouble? Maybe you should have gotten fired. Maybe something worse should have happened. And God in his sparing mercy does not allow you to experience the fullness of the consequences that your sins deserve. That your choices should warrant. 
There's God supplying mercy. Now God promises to give you all things needful. It's one of those great moments in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to people who are just worried about the everyday necessities of life. Man, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to clothe myself? How am I going to feed myself? Just that background stress we're talking about, right? Jesus says, don't worry. God knows your needs and he will fulfill them. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, of course, there are some things that we consider needs that maybe aren't. Or maybe there are some needs that God does not give us the way we'd like to, but he supplies us in other ways. But God supplies us with the things that we need. And some of us have experienced that, not just in like ordinary ways, but in like extraordinary ways. You're like, God, I have no idea how I'm going to pay this bill. And then you get like a phone call from someone's like, I just felt the Lord lead me to, to, to send you this check. I know it's happened with me. Maybe that's happened with some of you. But ways where God comes in at just the right moment and he mobilizes his saints or others to provide for our needs in just the right moment. God's supplying mercy. His guiding mercy. God guides the way we should go. He guides us away from paths that we should not take and into ways that we should go. Often he does this by simply shutting doors. Right? You have a a wide swath of, of options before you. And you think you're going to go through this door and then all of a sudden that one shuts. And then, uh, and then this one shuts and you're like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes God does that. He just says, no, you're not going to go that way. And he guides us by his spirit or he, or he supplies us with wisdom. When someone comes along and directs us in the way we should go at just the right moment. Sometimes God doesn't allow our best laid plans to come to fruition like a mission trip last year. But he has a plan for it for this year instead. Sometimes he limits our options, but God gives us wisdom not only for salvation, but for everyday decisions. There's God's forgiving mercy. Oh man, is this a sweet thing we need to be talking about more and more. Our world is increasingly becoming an unforgiving place, a place where we reach back into people's history, point out their flaws and cancel them. And there's no way to come back. There's no forgiveness. We are losing that, but God has not lost that. We serve a God whose mercies are new every single day. For those in Christ, you are just before God. You have forgiveness by the blood of Christ for each and every sin, not just the small ones, not just the manageable ones, but the big ones too. You ever go to the beach and you see the, the waves crash over on the beach? You know, those, those waves, just they cover the big rocks as easy as they cover the sand. Christ's blood covers our small sins just as easily as he does the big. God's forgiving mercy. He does this not according to our worthiness, but according to his mercy. I love Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Because we're all sinners, right? But he goes on to say, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And God's forgiveness, his mercies are new every single day. And with that comes his accepting mercy. Guys, God welcomes us as children despite our constant errors, despite the fact that every single day we're constantly screwing up. I have in my journal, I started writing down like, God, here's some resolves because your word says that you will bring, uh, you will bring about every resolve for good by your grace. And so I'm like, God, I resolve to do these things. And and I'm like, God, 
I want to be slow to anger. I want to be self-controlled. I want to be compassionate. I want, and all the things that I'm, I'm, I'm working on, right, by God's grace. And you know what? I look back at that a couple days later, and I'm like, man, I, I failed there. I messed up there. And God's not going, well, I tried, but you know. Man, God is forgiving and always welcoming us as children. And we, the enemy in our own flesh likes to work together to convince us that the opposite is true. You've gone too far this time. There's no coming back from this. You know what? You just need to stay away from God because he is sick of you right now. That is never the Holy Spirit. That's the accuser. That's his name. But rather, Jesus, on the other hand, says, All the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you are in covenant with God, you experience his accepting mercies. You also experience his healing mercies, where God is your healer. I mean physically, I mean emotionally, I mean relationally. Think about Jesus did this time and again. As he was going through teaching, he healed the blind and the deaf and the lame and the demon-possessed. Even to this day, how many of you have experienced God's healing as people have laid hands upon you and prayed for you? And I will say this, every healing in this life, in this current body, is temporary. So maybe God's healing wasn't full sail, you got back and, and the cancer completely went away, or, but maybe God prolongs your life. He limits the ability of the disease or the ailment to afflict you and harm you. He extends your life, he extends your health and your mobility. Sometimes God wholesale just heals completely. Some things he leaves there. But every affliction, every ailment, everything we struggle with, God will heal at the resurrection. He will wipe away every disease. There's God's, related to this is God's delivering mercy, where God is merciful not only in our sicknesses, but also when we're just in trouble, right? When, we're, when we are in a pit, when we are in physical danger, when, our, when our, our livelihood is at stake, when things have gone very bad, and we're saying, God, just help me. Just, just help me, Lord. I think I feel this sometimes whenever, like, I'm out somewhere and, like, I lose track of my little kids. I'm like, oh, Lord, deliver me. Oh, God, help me. Help me to find my kids. It's that, that immediate fear when there's, this isn't like necessarily a long time coming. It's just like you get that bad phone call and all of a sudden things are really bad. And sometimes God, in his mercy, delivers us right then and there. It's often in these times that God intervenes before the tragedy overtakes us. Then there's God's supporting mercy. God, God does not always heal. God does not always deliver from harm, danger, sorrow, or pain. But we should never assume in that case, well, great, so you're talking about God's mercy, but God's mercy has, has failed. He did not show mercy. He did not rescue. He did not heal. He did not deliver. No. All that means is God has exchanged one kind of mercy for another. And now he gives you his supporting mercy. Sometimes God leaves a thorn in our side. The Apostle Paul, if there's ever anyone who earned a right to have his prayer answered, it might have been blindness. According to Galatians, he had an issue. But he had some sort of physical ailment that afflicted him, and he hated it, and he said, Lord, please take it away. He says he asked God three times, Lord, take it away. And you can imagine him like... 
saying, God, my ministry would be so much more effective. Life would be so much easier. I would give you praise. Like all the, you list all the good things and God says, no. Not because God is lacking in mercy, not because he's failing to deliver, but he, has, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's not a cold, callous thing. He's saying, instead of giving you this kind of mercy, I'm instead going to give you this kind of mercy. And some of you have gone through a trial that absolutely made no sense to you. Like you've, re- you, you've tried to reason it out and say, you know, and we say, well, everything happens for a reason according to God's good plan. Yeah, God, I can't figure out what your plan is in this. It makes no sense. I can't trace it out. It, I can think of better ways than you can, God, for, for my life to go. This doesn't fit. And maybe it's months later, maybe it's in the midst of it, maybe it's years later, you can look back and say, oh, God showed me something about himself that I would never have seen otherwise. That when my life was comfortable and easy, I was actually further from God and the sweetness of his company and his secret mercies and his tender affection that I would never have experienced had this affliction come into my life. It doesn't mean you love that affliction, right? But man, you have something of God that that others maybe haven't experienced. So don't, don't think that if God fails to heal you the way you'd like or deliver you the way you'd like, that God's mercy has failed. He has simply exchanged one kind of mercy for another. And along with that is his comforting mercy. Because God does not exempt Christians from grief and pain and sadness and loss and fear and anxiety. Man, I, I've struggled with anxiety for years and I've, I've wished God would take it away. It'd make life so much easier. It's no fun having panic attacks at inopportune times. But we all have that. We all have a thorn. We all have something. Everyone has pain and loss. But I will say this, Christian. Everyone experiences grief and pain and hardship and loss, but not everyone has comfort, much less God's comfort. You do. God has given you his Holy Spirit, whom Scripture calls the Comforter, and not without reason. The God of all comfort has given you his comforting spirit. He is the spirit who reminds you in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death that you have hope, that you have life in Christ, that you have forgiveness, that this is not your home, that you have treasure in heaven, that your Lord is God. I was reading in Psalm 74 this week. I'm kind of going through the Psalms right now. And I came across this, um, this gem Everything's going wrong in Israel, right? This happens a lot. A lot of times the Psalms are like, if there's 20 verses, like 17 of them are like complaining. And like three are like faith, right? Or a self-reminder. And everything is going wrong. The people are helpless. There's no prophet that they can listen to, that can guide them. The enemy is ascendant. The psalmist writes, Psalm 74, 12. He says, yet, yet, my God is king of old working salvation in the midst of the earth. In the midst of it all, God is king, and he's your king, working salvation in the midst of it. And the Holy Spirit, who you are, you are in covenant with, grants you comforting mercies. I could, I could stop. I'm going to keep going, though. There's quickening mercies. Quickening is this old-timey word, right? It's an archaic word, but it means to stir to action or to stir to life. 
right? The easiest thing in the world is to fall away from God. The easiest thing in the world to do is to drift into sin, even for the Christian. Consider this, for you to fall away from God, to, to leave his fellowship, to experience a separation, a coldness from, with God, even as a Christian, you, know, you, you don't have to like commit some great, terrible sin. You don't have to commit murder or adultery or, or anything super heinous. Do you know what you have to do? Nothing. That's all you have to do. Just nothing. Just, just, just stop reading God's word. Just, just put it off. Or, or, or read it, but don't like apply it. Or, or, or stop going to church. Or, or come to church and just go through the motions. Or stop praying. Stop seeking. Stop meditating. Stop repenting. Stop fellowshipping. Stop worshiping. Stop doing those things and just drift away. It's the easiest thing in the world. If you go in the ocean, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love boogie boarding, you know, and my, and I remember I'd start, I'd go out, you know, and you kind of ride the waves back in. And I remember like I'd see my parents on the beach right there and I'd go out and I'd ride a couple waves back. And before I know it, they're over there and I'm over here. And I, I didn't try to go over there. I just lost sight of them. Because I was doing my own thing. And man, if we lose sight of the Lord, the easiest thing, you don't even have to try. You have to do nothing. Guys, and it is the mercy of God that tethers you to him, that draws you back. It, whenever you have any inclination to pray, that is God calling you. Any inclination to read the word, any desire for God, that is always God's mercy at work in you. That's not from you. That's from his Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. Hey, come. It's his quickening mercy. It is God who keeps you from drifting. And so, whenever you feel a desire to pray, to meditate, to seek Him in His Word, don't neglect that. Don't quiet or quench that voice. Respond to it. However, we don't always. And then we have His correcting mercy. Because we don't always respond. We often drift into patterns of sin, sometimes for a very long time, long seasons of sin, where God's voice is so far away, so quiet. That even if we wanted to, we can't hear and we languish. And if we were left alone in that state, we would never return to God. There'd be no inclination. But it is God's kindness and His, His, uh, His correcting mercies that turn us around and bring us to Himself. It's when He snaps our, His, His fingers and gets our attention and says, Okay, you've drifted far enough. Now it's time to come home. Man, it's a sweet thing. And God, and God does that often in ways that we may not like by drawing attention to our sins. Sometimes we, we might think it's like rude. Like you don't talk about someone's sins. That's rude. That makes them feel bad. It hurts their self-esteem. No. If, if, if God has mercy upon you, he is making your sins conspicuous to you so that you can repent of them, so that you can find healing and forgiveness and life. God, God calls those out and makes you aware of them. Jesus does that in his own ministry. He doesn't just say, you guys are generally not who you should be. I know you kind of make mistakes now and then. You're, you're generally sinners, but let's not get into specifics. That'd be rude. He absolutely does not. He says to the rich young ruler, you need to repent of your greed. 
He talks to the woman at the well and says, you've had five men who aren't your husbands. And the man you're living with and sleeping with right now, he's not your husband either. Not because he's just being rude or he's trolling or anything. He says, no, repent. Have life. Have forgiveness. And there's a difference. This this is actually called godly grief in Scripture. Listen, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, and I love this, without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. There are two kinds of grief you can experience in this life. Worldly grief and godly grief. Worldly grief is when you come to the point when you realize that all the sin you've been chasing has not paid what it promised. When you, when you, you chase after sex, you chase after uh, making a good, a great name for yourself, you chase after success in the business world or money or, or whatever it might be. You chase after everything in the world, all the treasures that this life can offer, thinking it'll give you fulfillment, thinking it'll give you life, thinking it'll make you significant, and you realize one day it doesn't, and you have regret. That's why Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he inherits the whole world and forfeits his soul? You can have it all. You can have everything the world offers, and it'll leave you high and dry. That is worldly grief. But God, in his mercy, gives godly grief where he says where where you come to realization this is killing you you are enslaved to this thing that you think you have control over and it's killing you it'll kill you forever it's godly grief where, where instead of loving your sin excusing your sin justifying your sin god in his correcting grace his correcting mercy makes you see and recoil at it. This is correcting mercy. And he says that this does something. It doesn't produce regret like worldly grief does, where you can't do anything about it. You're lost. You've made your decisions. You've made your bed. Now you've got to sleep in it. And he says, no, this produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It leads finally to God's crowning mercy. Finally, it is God's mercy that will bring you home and welcome you as a child into his kingdom forever. And, and, And believer, if you are the least Christian in all of the world, you are the worst at it. If there was a ranking, you'd be the very last. You are cherished son or daughter. And there is a crown and a kingdom and a place at the table set for you. The least saint in all the world is worth more to God than a world full of sinners. And so even on this earth, if your life is nothing significant, you never become anything. You don't have a great name, a great legacy, a great heritage. You never accomplish anything that's going to get in the history books. You don't make a lot of money. You're not going to leave a lot of property or inheritance to anybody. God has treasures for you. Guys, even though the, the even even if the people in the world who don't belong to the Lord receive all of those things, and you don't, it's okay because God has a habit of saving the best wine for last, and He saves it for His saints. So, guys, God pours out all of His mercies. Or he pulls out His more mercies to everybody on the earth, but specifically for believers, and you can count on it. 
And even if you don't experience each and every one of these mercies in exactly the way you would expect or like, you experience some of them because you are in covenant with God, believer, and they are yours. He is yours and you are his. He will not fail to show mercy of one kind or another in your life. I just want to end real quick with this. That we, because of that, we should be people of mercy. So Christian, non-Christian, unbeliever, unbeliever, guys, let, let the mercies of God we've talked about today, let that stir your heart. This is how God wants to be known. This is how God, I think, wants to be addressed and first introduced to sinners who are languishing, who are in misery, who are suffering, or just have background stress. The God is a God of mercy and the compassion. He is slow to anger. Guys, let that stir your heart. Taste and see the Lord is good. Let that stir your affection for God. Let that stir your worship. Also, people of mercy, rely on the mercies of God when you're in temptation and sin. Don't let the accuser have the final word. Let God's mercies draw you to him each and every day because his mercy is new every day and they never fail and they never run out and they will follow you and chase after you all the days of your life. And it's God's mercies that will bring you back to God when you have left him, his mercies that will correct you, that will sustain you, that will sanctify you and will glorify you. Rely on them. Beyond that, be merciful. Be people of mercy towards others in all your conduct towards other believers. We should be a place where people show mercy to one another, that we help one another, that we are patient with one another. Let us be kind, patient, bearing, supporting one another, caring, forgiving one another, not holding grudges in the household of God. Let it be far from us, no matter where else we may find it in the world. The church is not a place to keep record of wrong or to catalog errors or to judge people according to their sins, but according to the mercies of God. Neither is a place where destructive sins are callously permitted, for that would, that would not be love or merciful either. But rather, it should be a place where we are real with one another about our suffering, our weakness, our sin, our questions, and receive mercy. Let us also be people who present God as merciful in Jesus Christ, because that is the one through whom we receive the mercy of God. In covenant is through Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave his life to cover our sins. As we talked about last week, to propitiate, to turn God's wrath and anger away from us, to satisfy that. So all that God has left for his people is mercy and compassion and love. Guys, let us be a people of mercy. I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come up now and to lead us in a time uh, of worship and reflection. As you've been listening today, I, I, I pray, I hope that your hearts are stirred towards the mercies of God. And if you, if you came here as an unbeliever, I pray that you would believe in a God who is worthy of your faith, who will not let you down. Pray with me. Lord God, we give you honor, we give you glory. God, thank you for your mercy. Lord, Paul even said that we have ministry by the mercies of God. Lord, none of us are sufficient. Lord, to be called your sons or daughters. Oh, it's just your goodness. Help us, Lord, not to forget that. Help us not to become cold or callous. Lord, for those who are drifting right now, Lord, who, who care very little for the things of God, would you awaken them? Would you quicken their hearts? 
Well, Lord, for those who are stuck in a pattern of sin or in dealing with shame, who are hiding it, oh God, would you unveil it? Lord, would you wound that you might heal? Would you bring conviction and godly grief? For those who are suffering right now, who are wounded, God, would you bring comforting and sustaining and supporting grace? Oh Lord, would you show yourself a powerful Savior and bring people to yourself? We thank you, Lord, that you are who you are, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We give you praise in Christ's name.